Welcome to She's Running, the podcast dedicated to talking to women who are running for office locally, nationally, and everything in between. I'm Emily Jackson, and I've got a question for you. When you're running for office, should embarrassing Facebook photos really matter? I guess I should give some context for this. This week, I saw a Facebook thread started by a woman who is thinking about her upcoming run for office. She was talking about scrubbing her social media accounts of potentially embarrassing photos and conversations. It wasn't awful racist stuff either. It was super geeky Star Wars conversations and stuff like that. Several other women had commented on the post asking, should I do that? Or talking about starting a public Facebook campaign page and making their personal one more private, which honestly isn't a terrible idea, but for other reasons. And one or two people said, does it even matter that much? And that's my question. Why should we expect our politicians to scrub their personalities? Is what we want a bunch of bland, middle of the road, no hobby having cardboard cutouts? And again, I'm not talking about the racist, misogynistic, homophobic, Nazi crap. I'm talking about the video of you as Pippin in your high school play. Banned photos. Evidence of truly terrible 80s hair decisions. Conversations that you've had with other Doctor Who diehards about how unfairly treated Martha Jones is. These are the things that make us interesting, but these are not the things that matter in a political race. Maybe my millennialism is showing, but who freaking cares? I care about where you stand on the issues, not about that keg stand photo from college. Okay, I could really go on and on about this. So let me know, am I wrong about this? Feel free to tell me on our Facebook page how you feel about the idea of seeing your next state representative's old home videos of her in church choir, or knowing that she's a Lord of the Rings LARPer, or that she once had both braces and permed hair. Yeah, that happened. All right. Today's guest is Erin Upchurch, and she's running for school board in Columbus, Ohio. And listen, Ohio, if you're lucky and you support her in this campaign, maybe the next one will be a little more statewide or national. You're going to want that. Okay, so in preparing for our talk today, I watched your 2015 TEDx Columbus talk. Yes. And holy crap, so powerful. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am a little intimidated, I must tell you, because <laughs> you are such an incredible speaker. I just like the whole, you know, we encourage youth to celebrate their creativity and differences, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, to be yourself. Um, but these messages stop when there's no longer room for their type of uniqueness or diversity. Yes. That gave me chills, honestly. Oh. <laughs> That experience was life changing for me. The whole, just even preparing for the TED talk, I had done public uh -huh. speaking multiple times. So I wasn't intimidated by the speaking piece, but then it was the speaking in front of so many people with such a powerful message. Yeah. And the crowd looked like, huge. It was huge. There was, I think, between 700 and 900 people there, and it was being live streamed. Well, it, it's <laughs> great. And even though it was two years ago, it's still. Like the message is so incredibly relevant, you know, right now it's happening. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we should probably formally introduce you here. So yeah. who are you and for what are you running? Uh, my name is Erin Upchurch and I am running for the Columbus City School Board. And you're in Columbus, Ohio, right? Correct. So why did you decide to run? What motivated this? 
That's kind of a layered um, answer. Uh, the biggest reason is that I have decided that I'm no longer willing to accept the status quo as it relates yeah. to education for my children and for the children in Columbus. That's great. Um, so your website says that you, uh, among many other things, are a community activist. Yes. So can you uh, tell us what that means? So I've always been a person who has organized communities and um, has stood up for what I believed in, kind of challenged the status quo. That's kind of in my family history. And so I didn't know anything different. Mm -hmm. uh, the formal piece of it really for me started when I um, went to school to be a social worker and um and both undergrad and graduate school, um, you know, learning about marginalized communities and how to organize around that, how to bring people together, lift up voices. Um, what does it mean for people to feel empowered? Um, and that's the work I've been doing um, around. I've worked within the HIV AIDS community, um, reproductive justice, um, LGBTQ community, specifically with trans youth and people of color. Um, mm -hmm. And then even within the education community here locally. And so some of that means, you know, doing planning meetings with the community, uh, determining what the needs are, holding community conversations so that people who don't typically get to speak have an opportunity to speak and also educate the community at large regarding their issues. I've never seen my role as somebody to speak for people, but mm -hmm. to really help them find their voice and step aside for that voice to be heard. I think traditionally we as a society have seen the role of community activist yes. as somebody who is in, you know, the marginal societies and, mm -hmm. and not the mainstream. But lately, it seems like the, like the movement as a whole is kind of seeing, mm -hmm. oh, this is actually, this is not a marginal thing. This is an everybody thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're correct. It's always been seen as people who were the underdog or marginalized mm -hmm. or um, otherwise a minority. And really, you know, and even thinking around schools, like this is our communities really belong to all of us as individuals, as families, as a whole. And I really believe that we can create the society and the social fabric that we want to see in the world. We just all have to be willing to step up and speak out and then to stand in our vision and our beliefs. So what has the process of running been like for you so far? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so it um, initially, it was uh, super exciting and terrifying uh -huh. um, just to think about from a very practical level, what does this mean for my life and how is it going to change? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Cause I have children, I have a family, I have um, two day jobs. And so just thinking about that, um, but then the exhilaration of I get to share my vision and thinking back to my Ted talk, what is that vision and why is it important? And, you know, for my TED Talk, it was speaking for a group of youth that typically their voices don't get heard. And like for me, that felt like a, a true charge to I have this platform, I have this opportunity, and I'm going to use it. Um, and so that was kind of the emotional piece to kind of work through it. You know, just from a very practical perspective, we had, you know, go through the Board of Elections and get petitions signed. Um, we had to submit the minimum uh, petition or the signatures were 300. We had over 1,250. And Whoa. so, yeah, we had over 100 volunteers across the city going out and just getting people to sign to support and get me on the ballot. Um, so that right there, that affirmation, that momentum, it was so energizing and very important. And I think it sends a really strong message that, hey, yeah, we are ready to build something different. And so we've got our supporters. We've got folks who are energized by my candidacy. 
Um, but what we've, we're coming up against, um, when I say we, I say, you know, yes, we can Columbus and the other candidates mm-hmm. that are running is we are standing up, uh, against the establishment. And so our very first kind of block, if you will, is the county party endorsed the incumbents prior to any petitions being submitted. Okay. Um, and so that was just a very, I think, clear message, whether they agree with it or not, that <laughs> they are not prepared or um, ready to hear new voices and support new voices. And that's a little defeating. It can be, if I were to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's also very, like, motivating to say, you know, especially being part of an activist advocacy community, okay, that's fine. I'm still going to stand. I still believe in my vision. And I still think that change needs to happen. Yeah. What is Yes, We Can Columbus? Yes, We Can Columbus is a group of uh, individuals and communities in Columbus who support progressive values. And so it's people who are supporting things like a living wage, um, making sure that the whole story of the city of Columbus is being told, not just that of those who have extreme political and social capital or have money. It is a bunch of volunteers, volunteer driven. It is a lot of folks who um, were Bernie supporters and then Hillary supporters, of course. Mm -hmm. And it's just people who know that there needs to be change. And it's the folks that we just talked about a few minutes ago. It's the community. So whether people have individual experiences of discrimination and marginalization or not, it's people who are committed to seeing real change and having a city where everybody can feel at home and that their needs are being met. What is it like as somebody who is uh, your whole career, I guess, has been Mm -hmm. about affecting change. You're literally in the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there are people saying, well, it's only the coasts that really (laughs) care about this. Mm -hmm. There's so much, you know, this quote, middle America that, (laughs) that revolution is happening. People are marching and, but it tends to get uh, kind of poo-pooed and saying, oh, well, it's only you know, the establishment Republicans or whatever saying, you know, it's only on the coasts. It's not really the people in the middle, in, in real America who care about this. Well, and I would say that's just false. Um, I live here. <laughs> I mean, it's just not true. <laughs> you know, th- something I love about Columbus and is the way that everyday people, regardless of the issue, truly come together and stand up. And, you know, there's, if we, if we were to talk about the most recent election, we've seen movements and communities coming together across the nation. And I know right here in Columbus, there literally is something happening every single night. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it is a demonstration or a rally or a protest, small groups are getting together to have conversations. You know, there's been, um, what's next huddles after the women's march. And it's, it's across the board. It is truly everyday people who want something different for their communities and for our country. It's people who are living day to day, um, just being real humans. And so that means, what does it mean to live paycheck to paycheck? What does it mean to have a, a child in a school that you know is underperforming, but you can't afford to move to a different district? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to have, uh, to make a decision between paying co-pays for medication and keeping lights on or maybe buying food for the week? You know, this is the everyday, I hate to use the word real people because we're all mm-hmm. real people, but it's folks who are, this is their life. This is day to day. This isn't just connected to a presidential election or a midterm election. This is day to day when there isn't an election. These are still people having to live their lives. And so I, I know about Columbus and I know that this city, um, is just full of folks who are, are trying to thrive. 
Mm -hmm. think people are tired of surviving, tired of the day to day, tired of the struggle of getting up and like, what do I have to do to just make it back home? You know, we want to thrive. We want to know that our dignity is being held by our local leaders, our political leaders, elected officials. Uh, We want to know that our children are going to be educated. That's a public health concern. We want to know our kids can walk home from school and be safe. Why did you decide on school board? I decided on school board. um, Kind of all of my different roles and hats that I wear have played a, a part in this. And so I have two children that are students within Columbus City Schools. One is in mm-hmm. middle school, one is in high school. And they have had completely different educational experiences. Really? Um, oh, yes. Uh, my one child has been identified as gifted and talented. And um, she was clustered amongst a group for a couple of years until she was able to participate in the district's program for gifted and talented students. And because of the teacher that she had, Miss Tracy Palmore, I'm going to say her name because she is amazing <laughs> and she deserves all the credit. And I watched my daughter come alive in her classroom. I watched her love learning. I watched her be challenged in a way that didn't tear her down, but built her up. I watched her, you know, learn to collaborate with her peers and not a competitive way, but more of a we can do this together. She created this community that was so inspiring and that, you know, my, my daughter, who is this introverted child, just came out of her shell. And that was, that's what you want for your kids, right? Mm-hmm. And all the social emotional development, education, um, school's not hard for her. So for the social emotional level to see that for her was just, um, so heartwarming. And then I, my other child, um, struggles with some learning disabilities. And we have struggled to advocate for him within the district since he was, since third grade. That's coming up against administrators, uh, teachers. Um, not that they don't want to help, but the, the lack of capacity to be able to do so has been the struggle. You know, finally to get his needs met, um, I had to go up to the State Board of Education. Oh, wow. And yes. And to be quite frank with you, it's like a full-time job advocating for a child who has special needs, regardless of those needs. And his are considered, quote unquote, minor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I've got binders upon binders and meetings and emails. I could write a book at this point. And it's not okay. It's not okay that it's this hard. It's not okay that, you know, myself and my spouse are both social workers. We understand systems. We are both um, graduate level educated. We, you know, we know how to get our needs met. And I just keep thinking, what about all these other families who don't have access to those resources and support? Mm-hmm. And so I'm watching my son be the typical kid that falls between the cracks. And if we had us not, if we weren't here, that would, what would, that's what would be happening. And so that's not okay for me. I think the district needs to be restructured in a way that is meeting the needs of these students, the ones that are different learners, the ones that are non-traditional learners, that they have a path to success and needs to be supporting the teachers so that they're able to meet those needs. And that can mean a lot of different things. But what I have seen are teachers who are great at what they do. They care. They're compassionate. They're showing up. And they just don't have the support to do that. And so that was one piece to pull me in to say, you know, how can I be a part of the solution? How can I step in? How can I share my experiences as a parent living this day to day and knowing that we are not alone as a family? Um, I want to be a part of that solution. The other thing that has motivated me is really out of my role as a social worker. And I am also a adjunct faculty at the Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. And the impact of poverty 
the impact of unmet needs, social, emotional, mental health needs is probably the largest impact on a student's ability to learn and thrive in the schools. And I think that there need to be some conversations that look at those factors that address the impact, address the impact of poverty and makes our social emotional needs a priority for every single student. So you've got two jobs. You I do. are advocating what sounds like almost constantly for your child and mm-hmm. you've chosen to take on running for elected office. So Correct. where do you f- possibly find time to go out and campaign? <laughs> Well, I'm averaging about five hours of sleep right now at night, oh. so and that's on a good night. So um, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of evening work and weekend work. You know, I think as a parent, and I think talking about women as well, and how just from a historical and societal perspective, we tend to be caregivers and, you know, we have multiple roles, I should say. You know, we've got the mm-hmm. intersection of all of our identities. It's truly just finding the time in the evenings and afternoons. I travel twice a week to, to go teach. And so I'm on the phone, usually all the way there and all the way back. Um, I was just joking to somebody as I camp. I'm on my phone more than my teenagers are at this point, you know, <laughs> checking messages on social media, answering things, texting, you know, it's, it's definitely, I've got them beat at this point. So is it, uh, your campaign, is it door to door, you know, or are you mainly, trying to do online outreach? How how are you structuring your campaign at this point? Sure. Right now at this phase, we are doing a lot of uh, friend building, community building, and so having small meetings, engaging potential volunteers. There are lots of individual and small group conversations, um, utilizing social media as it makes sense for outreach. And uh, so a lot of the online and of course, just started doing some really uh, intentional fundraising on top of that. Uh, we will be doing some canvassing the door-to-door, having conversations with our neighbors and phone banking um, here over the couple of next couple of months. You've got a great website set up. Thank you. And I love this whole child, whole district, yes. whole community theme. You know, as I mentioned, I'm coming at my candidacy from different perspectives. And mm-hmm. I think when you look at systems, you've got to look at all the different parts of a system. And when we look at a school district, we've got the children and the youth that are the students. And so we know that their lives don't end the day, the moment they leave the school. So they leave the school, they go back home, they go back to their neighborhoods, and they come back in the next day. And they're bringing all of that with them, whether it's stress, whether it's support, whether it's trauma. That's coming into classrooms. We aren't able to ask our students to set down their lives. And so we look at the whole child. It's, you know, providing different opportunities for success. Um, What does that even look like? How do we determine, you know, how do we differentiate our education so that all kids can be successful and thrive, not trying to fit into this traditional model? Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at families and the individuals, how do we support our kids with, you know, different learning needs? What can be available to them? And then, as I talked about, you know, the social, emotional, mental health and making that wellness a priority. And so that could be you know, bringing in opportunities for a trauma-informed educational perspective, which really looks to at youth and students of what are they walking in with and how can we get their systems and a state that's resting enough that they can learn? And how can we empower them to regulate themselves, to support themselves and to be able to engage and interact with a learning system? We look at the district, it's really you know, Columbus City Schools is a giant district. It's the largest one in the state of Ohio. Oh, we have wow. 100, we have 114 schools. 
And something that I love about it is the diversity that our district offers where, you know, I could live on my side of town and go to a school across the district and mm-hmm. be in a completely different community and neighborhood. Uh, we've got different structures. We've got schools that focus on the arts. We've got schools that focus on language immersion, um, schools that kind of are clustered with more gifted and talented learners. Um, so there's a lot of diversity, which is, I think, is one of our greatest strengths. The challenge is the alternative schools are not always the, it's not equitable. The experiences are not equitable. And so traveling across town typically isn't to get a different kind of education in terms of like the arts, but it's usually because it's just a better quality. And mm-hmm. so right now we've got families that are leaving their neighborhood schools to try to get into the quote unquote best school. And that's not equity across the district. And I think that we need to really look at that and begin to invest in these schools that are lower performing, underperforming. So if there is equity and so if a family cannot or doesn't want to leave their neighborhood, they're still getting the same quality regardless of their zip code. And that's looking at our district and making sure that resources are equitable. It's looking at our partnerships in the community. What can we do to address the impact of poverty? 89% of our students have been identified as economically disadvantaged. Wow. 89%. That's a high number, right? And so, but what we know, (laughs) how systems work and how this works is the 11% not in that number is also impacted. And so we have to look at this from a whole district perspective. How can we address this? How can we make sure that everybody is thriving in their experience? And then when I look at the whole community, we know that communities and schools are strongly linked. One is not going to succeed or fail, quite frankly, without the other. Um, our schools are our future. You know, I think as adults, we really, and this is important to work hard on the adults that are elected mm-hmm. into office and who are running things, absolutely challenge them, stand up against them. Um, let our needs be known, but we have to invest in our future because these are going to be our leaders. These are going to be our business owners. These are going to be the folks that are running the country in 20 years. And quite frankly, I want to develop the leadership that I want running our country when I'm 80 years old. Yeah. Right. And so that's the whole community. How do we diversify our relationships? How do we make sure that representatives of the district are part of these conversations in the city and the county, especially around economic development? Um, and how do we continue to pull in parents and community leaders and members into conversations related to our school district? How do we get the support? The community needs to know what the entire story is so they know what is needed what support is needed and how they can be involved. I think we all need to, you know, all hands on deck needs to be happening in the schools and in the communities. That's a great platform. It's so... It's a lot, I I know. (laughs) It is. It's very well thought out and it seems almost, you know, more for a higher level, like, you know, mayor or governor or something like that (laughs) than (laughs) school board. Well, you know, that's the thing is... I truly believe that education is truly the life source to our communities. It is one of the top social determinants of health, and it is the great, great equalizer. And I think that we should be looking at our school boards with the same, if not more, urgency and intention and importance as we do as mayors and governors. Mm-hmm. This is truly our future. These are our kids. These are our youth. We've got to invest in them. So if people want to get involved with your campaign, what do you need right now? I need um, recruiting volunteers because, like I said, we're going to be knocking on doors. 
Um, I believe we're trying to schedule a canvas uh, for next weekend, working on the details for that. But all of March and April, we're going to be talking to voters. And so we need people who want to knock on doors, people who want to drop literature, people who want to be on the phones and calling in phone banking. I also want to get in front of as many voters and community members as possible. And so right now um, we're hosting community forums across the district. But I want to talk to students and teachers, educators, parents, leaders, to know what are their priorities for the Columbus City School District. Clearly, I have my own ideas and I have my own vision, but I know, you know, collective power is stronger than any just one individual. And so I want to get in front of people and talk to them. What are your challenges? What are the successes? What is the real story? And what are those priorities? And so if people have groups, uh, folks who they want to get me in front of, I would absolutely welcome that. Mm-hmm. We also are raising money. Unfortunately, in our culture right now, elections need to be funded. Yeah. Unfor- you know, and that's a whole nother probably podcast, but I, it's the, it's the reality. It's the nature of the beast. You know, literature costs money. Yard signs cost money. Resources to call folks. All of that does cost money and, and we need money. And so, Folks who want to contribute, who believe in this vision, who believe in the importance to invest in the whole child, the whole district and whole community, we, we need that kind of support as well. And I'll put links to your website, Great. your TED Talk, all of that up on our website too. Speaking of, where can people find you online? Yes, my website is upchurchforccs.com, upchurch, U-P-C-H-U-R-C-H for ccs.com. Finally, so you've got two kids in the uh, school district that you Uh are running to represent. How do they feel about your campaign? (laughs) (laughs) So the first time I told them about it, they cracked up laughing. Um, (laughs) Like that's good support, right? Um, And they said, wait a minute, you mean you might be on TV or the radio? I said, yes. They said, so your face will be on stuff? I said, yes. And they thought that was the funniest thing in the world. I've That's always great. Been, yeah, I've always called them movement kids. So they've been with me since, you know, my dot my youngest was, you know, in a stroller and car seat going to community planning meetings. Uh-huh. And they've always been in these meetings. They've always they've gone to rallies and protests. Like they get how all this works. And um, you know, my son was on the city count the student council in middle school and my daughter's been in different leadership positions and she actually travels with me to different meetings right now. She was actually sitting here a few moments ago. And so they get the importance and the needs of this. And I think they think it's kind of cool, although they'll never say it out loud. Um, <laughs> right. Cause I'm still a mom. Yeah. Um, but I asked them multiple times and I even keep checking in. Are you also okay with this? Because it does mean, you know, evenings I might not be available. And really I think their stories are so impactful I need to make sure that they're okay with me sharing those. And so mm-hmm. even though they've given permission multiple times, if there's a story I want to share, I say, hey, would this be okay? Um, they say yes or no. If they say yes, we actually sit down and figure out what parts can be shared and what parts cannot be shared. You know, my son, especially, he's the one in high school, is always like, well, this is what's real. So yes, please share it. People need to know. Mm-hmm. And because he truly believes that our stories can impact other people and people need to know they're not alone. And so... I see this as a whole family effort. And so as of today, right now, they're both very supportive and are (laughs) enjoying what's happening. (laughs) And that's probably until I make them start folding um, letters and stuff. (laughs) 
But, you know, one more thing I just want to add to that is, you know, in 2008 um, and 2010, I worked on two campaigns. And the 2008 was the Obama election. Mm-hmm. And they were a part of that. They were a four and eight. And they knocked on doors with me. They sat in rooms during phone banks. And they were there that night when he won. And, the, you know, I have chills just talking about it right uh-huh. now. They watched the, th- the, the speeches. And so they know what it looks like what real change is possible and what it means to feel hopeful and to instill hope in people for a different tomorrow. They've been a part of that process and they know what that means. And I think when they remember and connect to that moment for them and how they were actually a part of his election, I know for them, this feels very special. I love it so much. Thank you for talking to me. Yes, of course. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you again to my guest, Erin Upchurch. You can find Erin's campaign Facebook page at Education is Life, Erin Upchurch for Columbus City School Board. Her website is upchurchforccs.com, and there you can read all about her whole child, whole district, whole community platform. I want to take a second to give a special thank you to my husband, Sam, who told me today that me getting this episode completed is more important than cleaning the house. So he's doing that by himself right now. Thanks, kid. Thanks for listening to She's Running. I'm Emily Jackson, and I'd love to hear what you think about our show. Give me a shout on Twitter at She's Running Pod. If you are enjoying the show, please tell your friends. Rate, review, and subscribe to She's Running on iTunes. You doing that helps other people find out about this podcast. And more people listening means more people hearing about these amazing women. You can find She's Running on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at She's Running Pod. Follow us, like us, share, and retweet. Next week, I've got a great interview with Gretchen Weimhoff from Anchorage, Alaska. We had a lot of fun during our talk, and I think there was something about moose voting. You'll just have to listen. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks. Talk to you soon.